Hallelujah. You can be seated in the house of the Lord if you can stand it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, if I had to go to dead church, I'd just stay home and sleep. I'd get more out of it. Not, it's not happening for me. Kids are making their way to Children's Church this morning. We're glad to have you in the house. It's been a great weekend in the Lord already. I'm looking forward to this morning because I'm going to concur with Brother Swagger and Donnie Swagger that Lauren Larson is the, if not the best, he's certainly one of the best preachers and teachers in the world, and that's no exaggeration. <laughs> I mean that, my friend. And I want to say, yes, he's coming one more thing that I, I believe in, in giving honor where honors do as well. And Brother Larson, there's one thing I want to honor you for publicly is that you've stood by Jimmy Swaggart for decades through highs and lows, thick and thin, hard days, dark days, and bright days. And that's, that's worth thanking you for. Thank you. If you don't know that, then you've never needed someone beside you. And I've watched you faithfully serve Brother Swaggart. And this pastor's heart appreciates that. Brother Lauren Larson, come and preach to these people. Thank you, Pastor. Love you. Amen. Well, what a great atmosphere to have the opportunity to preach the Word of God in. And I'm, I'm going to take just a minute to look at you, because once I get started, I won't see you. But uh, it has been a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Uh, the kids, of course, my kids, the kids, the kids. They went, uh, the kids. Joseph has six children. He's trying to repopulate the world. <laughs> and Grace, of course, beautiful, has two. And uh, they got home last night safe and sound and are at work this morning. But what a joy to be with Mag Church all weekend. Uh, and I've got a chance to get to know uh, your pastor a little bit better uh, in fellowship and spending time together always does that. And one of the reasons why we travel when we travel from the ministry is to try to introduce and connect people with good local churches. And this is a solid, good local church. If you are not attending a good local church, you need to. There's not a not a person alive that doesn't need a good local church. Now, we have a worldwide ministry, and I'm thankful for that, but there's no substitute for walking through the door of a good local church. This is where your gifts can be built. It's where you can share your faith with other people. And remember that Hebrews doesn't just say that we're to get together um, and not fail to get together just so we can hear the Word. It's also so that you can help and encourage and strengthen one another. Just walking through that door, whether you ever play a, a role on the platform or not, uh, is what helps your brother, your sister, your neighbor in the Lord. You've made a decision to still walk with God one more day, one more week, and that's an encouragement, and that's something that has to happen. And again, it's in a local assembly where your gifts to the body can begin to grow. Uh, again, we have a great outreach ministry, but you can't share your gifts sitting on the couch. That's a good time to say amen, Brother Larson. Preach on, Brother Larson. Teach it, brother. 
So we try to connect people uh, that have been watching our ministry with a good local church. We're not asking you to stop watching SBN. Uh, You can still participate. My Lord, you can see everything that we do 50 times a day if you want to. But a good local church, there is no substitute for it. And as a pastor, I have to exhort you, there's no reason why, if you live in this area, that you wouldn't possibly uh, at least come to the Lord and say, is this where you want me? Uh, Because I think that we have found it to be a solid place of worship. What a great team. What a great facility. The things that they're doing will help you in your growth. So I'm just eliminating the excuses for staying home and watching TV when you could drive a little bit and come into a place just like this. Somebody shout amen. 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 Uh, Out in the lobby, we brought material with us. Most of it is gone, uh, but there are still some CDs. Uh, This is a CD that my family and my four children and I went in and did called Here We Are. Uh, For those of you that don't know, the eldest child, Joy, is on the cover, not my wife. It's kind of like people were mad at Joseph when he got married because he divorced Grace to get married. Uh, But in any case, you know that's wrong, I'm sure. But in any case, it's available. Whatever the CDs are that are available there, uh, $10 a piece or three for 25 and take advantage of that. Other books are $15 a piece or two for 25 But I've, I've asked Lauren, who's out, to help us in the, in the lobby. Uh, this is a book called Breadcrumbs that I wrote. It's a 365-day devotional in just a little bit of reading for every day. It takes about 200 words, a few minutes to read. Um, and I place this on Facebook uh, each and every morning on my Facebook ministry page, and I check it to make sure it's there. And I can pleasantly say I've been surprised um, by the number of times uh, what I wrote years and years ago uh, has ministered to right where I was on that particular day. Uh, and so I know that if it's happening with me, it might be a, a potential Uh, in your life. And so I've asked them to uh, lower the cost on these today for $10 a piece. If you'd like to pick them up, uh, give it to someone if you already have it. If you can't afford it, I didn't come to merchandise you. Uh, You can get those for free on Facebook. Just go on Facebook, uh, Lauren Larson Ministries, and you'll find it there. So if if it helps, stop by the table and pick something up. Uh, But most of all, thank you for coming this morning and Pastor Armstrong, thank you for inviting the Larson family. We've had a a great weekend, and I know my kids will say the same. And yes, they are my kids, no matter how old they grow. Amen? Open your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, if you will. And we'll begin reading just three verses in... Chapter 4, verse 14. The author of Hebrews would write, verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points 
tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Based on all this truth, let us, let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I am so pleased that I'm able to stand before you today and tell you that God has, in fact, provided humanity with a perfect plan of redemption. It's perfect. Absolutely flawless. Designed to meet every need of every human being on the planet, bar none. No one to be left out, no one to be excluded, no one that can't grasp the truth if they will willingly accept it, no one that can't actually walk in the required actions of this covenant if they will understand what they are. But this wonderful plan of redemption has an initial entrance into it where we are marvelously and awesomely changed. You, you, you can't accept Jesus and stay the same. It's, a, it's an impossibility. You become a new creation in Christ. Your soul is reconstructed. Your spirit is reconstructed. And God himself, Pentecostals get this right, God himself, the moment you say yes to Jesus, moves into your heart by the means of the person of the Holy Spirit. And you don't just get a part of the Holy Spirit when you get saved. Don't just get his leg or his arm. You get the Holy Spirit who comes in immediately and begins to transform. That's why some of the things that you were doing the day you truly got born again and truly got they stopped. They ended. You, you could no longer talk the way you used to talk or walk the way you used to walk. You saw the result of the inward change immediately in your life. Can I get an Amen. I've got to tell you, if, that, if you've never experienced and you have never seen that internal change, you need to check your salvation because there is no one truly born again. Oh, you can, you can say the sinner's prayer. You can even feel and sense the drawing of the Holy Spirit. But when God really changes a life, He really changes a life. He changes us from the inside out. So there's this instantaneous moment in time when this wonderful plan of God uh, comes in in the process of redemption and changes us. And then the next moment we begin the lifelong process of becoming Christ-like. The long haul is He's transforming you into His image. You know, that's what he wanted to do in the garden with Adam and Eve, walking with them in the cool of the day. They were magnificent creatures, God's highest creation. But even then, the plan of God was little by little to speak and talk and reveal and show and step by step, line upon line, precept upon precept, implant the very character and nature of God into his highest creation. How awesome! And all he asked was that you walk with me, trust me, depend upon me, and I'll show you everything I am and everything I have. Amen. 
Well, his plan is still the same, thwarted, of course, by the fall. But he intended now to change every single one that comes to him from the inside out. You need to grasp this simple truth as I introduce this. He, he wants to change what's in your heart so that your mouth changes. He wants to change what's in your spirit so your attitude changes. He wants to touch your soul so your action changes. That's a good time to say amen, Brother Larson. Preach on, Brother Larson. He wants this internal change and intends to do it. And in order for salvation and subsequent transformation to properly occur, the believer must come. Listen, the believer must come. He must come to find and rely upon grace to help in time of need. If you haven't figured it out yet, this transition from what you were into the nature and character of God is something you can't do yourself. You're going to need grace to help in your time of need. And every moment that you exist as a Christian is a time of need. And I want to minister to you this morning grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to present your gospel. We pray that the Holy Spirit would be present and touching the hearts and lives of all that hear today. Open our eyes to see where we are and secondly, where you want us to be. We're asking for the anointing both to preach and to receive. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen. So many of us, after experiencing this wonderful process or this wonderful instantaneous redemption, we learn a few things from those that have gone on before us, and that's not wrong. That's exactly right. I mentioned the need to be in a good local church. You learn from people that have gone on before. You follow the example of those that are older than you uh, in the Lord, not necessarily of age, but in experience. And we watch and we see, and so almost immediately, if we allow it, God will lead us to a good local church, and they'll start showing us some things that will aid us in our walk with God. They'll instruct us to read the Word of God. Well, God's Word says that. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. So we start to read, and, and the Bible would teach us that prayer is something we should enter into. Uh, be constant, be instant in prayer, Paul would write, uh, and pray always. And so we begin this, probably start attending church, and our our lives become uh, transformed in, in, in action. But many of us, after a period of time, after stepping into some of the responsibilities that we feel the elders of our church or fellowship have taught us, we find ourselves, and I think I, I'll be able to describe this to you, on the hamster wheel of Christianity. Hamster wheel. You've seen it. You've all seen it. We had those little animals that eventually got out of their cage and lived in your walls. But uh, meanwhile, if he was still 
not in your wall. He was in the cage. And you've seen the little hamster get on the, get on, do I look like a hamster? Get on the wheel and he starts pedaling and around and around goes the wheel. And he's there grinning like, whoo, look at me. I'm a hot dog. I'm moving now. And he ain't going nowhere. And so many of us in Christianity have found the hamster wheel of Christianity. We have decided that we have been changed to the point that we probably really need to, so we think that our activity is going to take us to this place of being changed from the inside out, of being transformed into what God wants us. So each and every day we get up and we stretch and we yawn and we jump up on our wheel and we start running on the hamster wheel, and oh, it feels good. I'm no longer in the world. I'm doing what Jesus said do. But the problem of it is the hamster wheel will wear you out, and it won't take you anywhere. It won't accomplish anything. And after a period of time, you get a little bit weary. And so then you're going to have to look for something to keep you excited about going and getting on the hamster wheel of Christianity. So you have a revival and you go in and the preacher comes in and he preaches you all happy. And listen, we need revivals and we need that moment in time when the Spirit of God floods us and, and excites us all about the thing of God. Don't ever, listen, don't ever as a Pentecostal or non-Pentecostal, don't you ever look at the moving and operation of the Holy Spirit and say, oh, that was for nothing. That's no, 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 no. We need, listen, we need every move of the Holy Ghost that we could ever have in at any time. But so many of us don't really understand the process that God has created for us. And so we move from moment to moment. Oh, I get a good scripture and whoop, I get back on the hamster wheel. I get to a revival, whoop, and I'm back on the hamster wheel. And whoop, here I go. I'm ready, 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 I'm not so ready. And then I need another spurt of... um, Holy Ghost, what is it, the the Red Bull, yeah. I don't know if you can use the term bull and spirit in the same sentence, but when you think wrong, you won't get what you need. And we have in Christianity, especially in Pentecost, and I am, I was raised in classic Pentecostal family. That's the family God brought me to, and so I'm grateful for that. I would that we would honestly, another message here, I don't have time to preach, I wish we would honestly begin to discern the body of Christ, that not everybody has to be in our fellowship to be saved. They just have to be in Christ. Okay, you'll have to ask me back and we'll preach that later. But. I was raised as a Christian in that atmosphere, and so I've watched as we, oh man, that was, and the service was wonderful, and the move of God was real, but then you just got back on the hamster wheel. And what happens is you get weary, and some of the things that you expected would never come back have started to come back, and some of the things you've always wanted to get rid of, you just haven't been able to get rid of. And it doesn't matter how many services you go to or what preacher. You know, it's so wrong 
to trust in preachers. I appreciate all the kind words Brother Armstrong has said. I, I have done what God has instructed. I am simply a preacher by whom you might believe. That's it. But I'm going through the same process as you are. I'm learning, Pastor, the same way they are. And then I'm sharing with you, that's my calling, that's my function. But there's no man greater than another. We all fall into the same category and in the same need. Therefore, we all need grace to help here in our time of need. And so, I'm afraid that this hamster wheel of Christianity has wore out many of those that used to be saints and then sinned and weights that so easily beset us make it too hard to even get on the wheel. And one of two things happens. You know, Christians quit in two ways. First of all, the first is pretty obvious. One of my uh, pastors while I was growing up used to say, Christians are a lot like old cars. They start quitting before they, or they start missing before they quit. And that certainly is true. We, we see the energy for Christ and the desire for Christ slowly failing and faltering, and then they don't show up, and then they don't come back, and we call and invite, and then they come back, then they disappear. That's happening every day in fellowships around the country, around the world. But the saddest form of leaving Christianity is the Christian who isn't going anywhere, but is going through the motions. They still come to church every Sunday. They sit in the seat that they always sit in. That's their seat. Woe be to the guest that comes in and takes your seat. We have it at Family Worship Center too, so. And they go through the motions. They know when to raise their hands. They know when to say what they need to say. But they're tired, and church attendance is about the only part of the hamster wheel they'll do any longer. A lot of the lifestyles that they had forsaken, they start again. They're too afraid to quit, but they don't know where to go, and the hamster wheel doesn't work. And the believers that were receiving this epistle were in the same boat. Their situation was such that opposition of a great nature had come against them. They were losing their homes, they were losing money, and, and no matter how much they tried to, tried to live for God, they, they couldn't seem to, to make it work. It just wasn't working, and, and sin had to be hidden, like so many in the church today, just hoping that nobody finds out about that one thing. And so they did what I just warned against. They actually started leaving Christianity and went back to the religion of Judaism. Do you find yourself today on the hamster wheel? Don't raise your hand. You don't have to. But answer it in your heart. Are you one of those Christians today that has quit even though you're still here? Or are you just a day or two away from leaving? Well, then it's you, my friend, along with the rest of us that needs to find grace to help 
in time of need. The author, in order for the Christian to get there, would say several things. In verse 14, he would say, hold fast to your profession. Now, to hold fast simply means that you need to get a hold of something firmly and don't let go. I mean, grab a hold of it and with everything is, that's in you, like a, a bulldog with a bone. Don't you dare let go. And then it says, don't let go of your profession. And, and honestly, probably a better translation would be confession. Now, before you accuse me of being word of faith doctrine, uh, let me explain that. Hold fast to your confession. What was it that you placed your faith in in the hour and the day that you first came to Christ? What was it that you said? What was it that you believed? Well, if you've forgotten, let me remind you. God somehow, some way, had convicted you of being in a state of sin, separated from God by sin, and you saw, you knew that you knew that you knew that you were separated from God by sin. If you died at that moment, you would spend eternity away and separated from God. And you also seemed to understand somehow in the depth of your soul that there was absolutely nothing, not one thing that you could do to save yourself. And somehow the good news of Jesus, somehow the great news of Jesus had come into your attention and all of a sudden something in you said, if I'll place my faith in Him, if I'll just trust in who He is, somehow I know that I know that I know that I know that I'll be saved. And you reached out by faith and you said yes to Jesus. Hold fast to your confession. The recognition of what you are, the recognition of what you can't do, and the recognition of who He is. <laughs> Woo! Keep it in the forefront of your mind. We have a great high priest, and I don't have time to go through uh, the context of Hebrews this morning, but a great high priest, he's not after the line of Aaron. He's, not, uh, he's after the line of Melchizedek. He doesn't travel to the most holy place. He ascended up to heaven. He doesn't have to sacrifice a gift once a year on the Day of Atonement. One day, 2,000 years ago, he offered up himself on the cross of Calvary, and that was enough for all men, for all men, for all time. We have a high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. So hold fast, hold fast, and attain, listen, attain, listen, attain to the full benefit of what your profession in Him can bring you. See, we've forgotten that it all began with, I can't, you can help. That's the message of the cross in six words. I can't, Lord, I can't, you can help. That's what we've been trying to teach, Lord. I can't, you can help. But it's so hard for us to just live that way, but that's what it means to hold fast. 
Hold firm and don't let go of that confession that you don't have what it takes to live for God. You don't have what it takes to change yourself. You need some help up in here. And that's not some of us. That is every single one of us. Are you attaining to the full benefit of our expression of faith in Christ? Verse 15 says, For we have not a high priest which can not be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Now, some of this is confusing, but let's get what's really simple. Jesus can sympathize with your weakness. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm tuning up because I'm preaching better than your amen. <laughs> he can sympathize with your weakness. The Bible says the Holy Spirit helps us with our infirmities. And the word infirmities means weaknesses. That's not just physical weakness, that's primarily spiritual weakness. The preachers and teachers that tell you, man, you're it. You're the hot dog, you're the top of the charts, you're just the number one of all humanity. They're not telling you the truth. You are a human being in this frail casing of flesh. You have received the down payment of redemption and God has begun the work in you. But if you want Him to finish it, then you have to stay in line with His plan. You can't go off on your own plan, start offering up your own sacrifices. We were singing about high places. Do you understand what high places were in the Old Testament? They were believers going to a place outside of the temple, away from the altar, and offering sacrifice on a hill. They thought the hill made that closer to God because it was higher in elevation. There is only one place for the sacrifice, and that is in the brazen altar, and that's what God said in His Word. There's only one place for your sacrifice, not where you think it'll get you closer to God, but you got to go back to the brazen altar. you got to go back to the place that God designed. you got to go back to the place where God placed His name, and that is Calvary and no other place. When you begin to trust in something outside of Calvary, you've created a high place. You've created a new altar. You've created an altar that God won't recognize. He won't recognize your altar of fasting for deliverance. He won't recognize your altar. He won't recognize your work. Your work has to be associated with His work. It has to be connected to what He does and what He did to give it value. sympathizes with our weaknesses. Now, sympathy on the part of God is not acceptance. Amen. Am I preaching too hard this morning? Sympathy does not mean, well, God knows my heart and... Yeah, He knows your heart. And honey, what you're doing is coming from the very core of your heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
the reactions begin. Are, are you following? Yeah, so what's happening is a result of He knows what's in your heart. Sympathy for us in our present state is something that the Lord has for us because He became us. He became what you and I were. He walked in this vessel of clay. He experienced the pull of the flesh, the world, and the devil. He saw it and experienced it firsthand, but he never failed. Now, there's something we need to qualify about temptation and what Jesus experienced, and when we understand it, I think we'll actually come to a better understanding of temptation and what it is ourselves. True temptation, and I want to say this and I've got to hurry, true temptation is really… The effort of humanity to address life or any aspect of it without God. True temptation is really the desire uh, that humans have to live outside of dependence and reliance upon God. All sin comes from that issue. Remember what God wanted in the garden, a people that was totally dependent upon Him. So all temptation actually is really something that starts when you stop depending upon God. You open the door for sin when you stop depending upon God. Jesus, while He walked in this flesh, He never one time ever stopped depending upon God. He says, I always do what my Father says do. I always say what my Father says to say. Uh, He has never left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. And you and I, (laughs) not so much. But He made a way for us in the not-so-much category. But temptation really revolves around this, will I trust God to meet my present need or not? That's the biggest temptation you're going to face today. Because if you don't live with this sense of dependence and reliance, upon the God that loved you and gave Himself for you, you're going to fall prey and sway to the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's going to happen. So real temptation is the temptation to live your life without God's help. Can't do it. Can't be done. From the very beginning, He would teach us, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And what? Good. Bible students, pastor. Good. Lean not. See, leaning to your own understanding. Oh, I got it. I got it. Like the outfielder, right? I got it. I got it. I got it. I, I ain't got it. That's, that's us. Over and over again. So temptation was learning to lean. It's the old, the old song. Learning to lean. Learning to lean. I'm learning to lean. 
on Jesus. What? Finding more power than I've ever dreamed. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Most people don't know the verses. They're wonderful. Sad, broken-hearted, at an altar I knelt. There I found peace so serene. And all that he asks is a childlike heart. And a heart that is learning to live, learning to live, I'm learning to live, learning to live on Jesus, finding more power than I'd ever dreamed. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. So he can be touched with the feeling of our... He can sympathize with our weaknesses, but he led by example in that he always and forever and in every aspect of life trusted his Father to do for him while he was existing in this physical flesh in this physical casing, to do all things for Him. That's the goal of the Christian life. Problem is, uh, even though I say to you I know that that's the goal, I don't always make it. I don't stand before you as someone that trusts God all the time for everything. I'm learning. Oh, Brother Larson. <laughs> oh, Meg Church. Look at us. We're a mess. But yet He loves us. And He died for us. And He says, hold fast to your profession. Understand that your Lord can sympathize, not accept, your weaknesses and knows how to get through them. In verse 16, it says, here's, here's an answer that we, that we got to get this verse. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Now, I, boldly is not, is not rude. It's not, I'm a, kid's, I'm a king's kid, so you will. No. Boldly has the attribute of humility mixed with knowledge, that based on my acceptance of Christ as Savior, justification has splattered me with the blood of Christ. And when God looks at me, even through my weakness and failures, if my faith is in Christ, He won't throw me away. The blood of Christ covers us as a result of our faith in Christ which allows God to have anything to do with us. And for those of you that are thinking, well, I don't need that, the Holy Spirit can't live in you if you don't have that. Because even though you might not admit it this morning or you might not care to see it, you're a mess. And if you're not sure about it, I'll just ask your wife. 
I often threaten my students, and Dalton can tell you, that I have, I have developed a device that will show everyone the thought life of any individual in the last 24 hours. We'll hook you up to my device and we'll put your thoughts in the last 24 hours on the screen and for the next 24 hours the rest of the church will get a view of what you really think. Who's first? Yeah, I kind of thought that might be that's the usual answer. We laugh and then we cry. <laughs> what you need to understand is that this wonderful plan of God says, I want you when you see your weakness. I want you when you see your failure. I want you to still come with confidence, not to a throne of judgment, but to a throne of grace that you may obtain mercy. I'm not going to throw you away, but you need to come to me. I'm not going to throw you away because of what happened. I won't throw you away. If you'll keep your faith in me, that blood covering will be applied. And when you come to me, you won't find me judging your actions, I'll have mercy to try to bring you out of your actions. So I want you to know that there's nothing that humanity could ever do that is greater than the sacrifice of what Christ paid. Every sin, every sin of every man that has ever existed or will ever exist was paid for by Christ on Calvary. End of discussion. So when we fail, not if, when we fail, we confess our sins to the Father and we can be assured of entrance into His presence, therefore we can come boldly. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to throw us away. To what? Forget, no, not, no. I mean, I can see why I get it, but them? Her? Oh, she wasn't ever serious anyway. I know, because I know what not serious looks like. How do you know what not serious looks like? You see it in the mirror. We come boldly. Christ will never, David knew it, even before this new covenant. He'll never turn away a heart that's broken and contrite. So go boldly. I know a man who came out of deep sin and, and was saved. Uh, God did a miraculous, wonderful thing in his life. Changed him, called him in, into ministry. Uh, and, and in the course of a few years, he uh, was married, and things were going well for him. The ministry that he was in was seeing people saved and, and, and healed and, and delivered, filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, there was talk of, well, this, this gentleman is going to rise to a level of a wonderful preacher, and he was on his way. But there was an issue in the family. 
See, you, you might think you can do ministry and not get your family right. Not so, bucko. Because what's happening in your family is what you really are. And there wasn't a ton of issues, but there was one in particular issue that every time it was brought up, it seemed to threaten the fabric of this little family that was starting. And, it, and every time the issue came up, instead of dealing with it scripturally, this individual with all of the attributes and all of the benefits of already experienced Christianity, lost his cool, drove himself crazy, and just exploded, kicked holes in the wall. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I mean, what you didn't expect from the preacher, rah! And anger expressed towards his wife, and, and, and even sometimes the children were the brunt of it. And several years passed, and he kept blaming his wife. Lord, that woman you gave me, if she'd just get right, I wouldn't lose it. But after a couple of years, he had to recognize that he was the only one losing his temper. He was the only one out of control, not her. But it was threatening the marriage. It was threatening the family. And one day after a particular horrible scene, he found himself out on the patio weeping and crying, saying, God, I don't know, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know why. I'm on the wheel, I'm fasting and praying, and doing, but I can't seem to overcome this. What, what is it? What do I do? And he testifies to the voice that came to his spirit. Ask me for mercy and grace to help in your time of need. Well, doesn't even know what that means, but any word from God when you're broken is a good one. And so the prayer began to be, Lord, I'm asking for mercy. I got that. But what does it mean to find grace to help in time? What, what, is, what does that mean? That means that I need some help. That means that I need grace, and as the study of grace went forward, we find out from the Scriptures, and he did as well, that, and there were different people that came into his life. You know, when you're looking for answers, God will send angels to you in the form of humanity or a radio preacher or, or a television preacher or your own pastor or a friend, and they'll start speaking to you. And he began to see that grace, one aspect of it, was the beautiful moving and operation of the Holy Spirit. So asking God for God's grace in one aspect was not just mercy, but it was the moving and operation of the Holy Spirit. And then Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 would tell us that if I wanted grace, it only comes through faith. 
So, Lord, if I'll believe for your grace to help in my time of need, then the Holy Spirit can start to do something in me. And so he began to grab a hold of the truth and and to preach it and to teach it that grace and faith was the the way to overcome. And little by little, that that explosion of anger that was destroying the family, the explosion of anger that wasn't really dealing with the family issue began to take place. But after two or three years, there still was not all that he had hoped to see, even though it was much better. And the Lord spoke to him again out of Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12 and said, don't be slothful, but followers of them who through, listen, watch, faith and patience. See, faith doesn't always bring you the instant McDonald's answer. Faith has to be tested. Faith has to be tried. Faith in what you're believing is going to find a a wall to see if you'll still believe. Patience simply means endurance in circumstances. Will you still believe that God can make and meet your need in the face of that mountain, in the face of that adversity? Will you still believe? Because if you'll believe Grace to either eliminate it or grace to travel through it is a guarantee. And so now along with grace to help in time of need came the idea of, okay, some things take a little bit longer than other things. See, God builds and builds and builds, and uh, the testimony is that this was eight, nine years in, in actually formation in his heart and in his life. And then one day, he heard a man by the name of Jimmy Swaggart say that all of the work of the Holy Spirit, all of the work of the Holy Spirit, it's always exclusively within the parameters of the finished work of Christ. And all of a sudden, the object of faith became obvious. If we place our faith in what Brother Swigert said, the finished work of Christ, then grace would always flow. It's a law, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ is a spiritual truth that can't be stymied. It's the way to get off the wheel. Faith and grace processed, okay, now I'm a faith and grace guy, but faith isn't just in the promises of God. I can build my own high thing on that promise, but faith is in the finished work of Christ. What do you mean by that? Can you put a scripture on the screen for me? Would you please put, if you can, Romans chapter 8 and verse 32? And because this will show you something I want you to see. Uh, Romans 8 and 32, they're going to get it. I know they will. The Bible says this, how he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. What is that? Calvary. God offering his son for you at Calvary. If he would give his son for you at Calvary, how shall he not with him, not without him, not on your own, but you being trusting, depending, relying upon, but you being in him, freely, 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 
Without price, thank you, Grace, without cost. People need a friend, thank you, Joseph, to tell you that what Christ did for us is enough, and it opens up the door for God to give you grace in every situation. And all of a sudden, the idea of grace to help in time of need was coupled with through faith and patience and, oh, the right object of faith. And if you'll place your faith in Jesus and what He's done, then the power of God's grace will freely bring you all things. Whatsoever you have and now, it's not up to me to perform. It's up for me to receive. Well, whatever happened to that fellow? He's standing in front of you this morning. That's my journey. And the only thing I was trying to get out of all of that was a family that would love God, a wife that would love God, and the empowerment to serve Him and love Him. The message of the cross is not some mantra. It's not a magic wand. It's a process of dying to self day by day. When you face something, you look at it and you say, Lord, I can't. But you can. Help. I believe that what Christ did for me at Calvary opened up the door for God to freely give me everything that I need in this life. Increase spiritually. Blessings on every hand. But I, if I'm going to believe it, might have to endure opposition to my faith. I might have to stay true. If I want off the wheel, I'm going to have to stop trusting in myself. I'm going to have to stop trusting in what I do. And I'm going to have to start learning how to lean, how to rely, how to depend. I can't tell you the number of people that have come up and said, man, we really love your family, and I appreciate that. But people ask me, how'd you do it? <laughs> wow. I didn't. I just learned how to receive grace to help in time of need. How do you hold it together? Grace to help in time of need. How do you get off the hamster wheel of Christianity? Grace to help in time of need. Placing your faith in Christ and receiving the grace to experience the full benefits of what Christ did to died to provide. Singers, musicians, come.